Soviet stroked his wiry mustache and left the table in the midst of the uproarious howls of his new friends. He climbed the stairs to the deck that overlooked the bar and pool. There was a chair by the railing with no one in it. He removed the soggy towel from its back and sat down to watch. Within a half hour, two more young men lurched to their feet, also sick. The game broke up, and he went to the casino. The next day, the ship stopped at Cozumel. The Soviet was in the casino when the fat lady next to him at the blackjack table turned green, clutched her stomach, and hustled for the bathroom. Later, a farmer from Ohio lost his ham sandwich at the roulette wheel, and the casino shut down. That night, less than half the vacationers showed up for dinner. People stared accusingly at one another, and if someone coughed, heads turned. The Soviet drank a good deal of the Chardonnay and grinned around at the others, who sat at the half-empty table picking at their food. On deck at 2 a.m., a helicopter sputtered secretly down out of the dark sky. Medivac. Two gurneys were hurried out across the deck. In the flashing lights of the helicopter he could see the wincing faces, tubes in their noses, IV bottles swinging above them. Nobody knew that they probably wouldn't make it. Word spread fast. By 6 a.m. there was an angry crowd outside the bridge, demanding that the ship return immediately to port. Later that day, as they were pulling into Miami, a line snaked in front of the ship's hospital all the way out onto the deck. People covered their faces with T-shirts and makeshift masks. A dozen people were trampled by the crowd, pushing to get down the stairs and off the ship. The Soviet waited patiently, then marched ashore with his leather briefcase, trying not to smile at other people's misfortune. Tom Redmond didn't need to hear more, but he knew the couple needed to talk. Beneath the desk he clenched and unclenched his hand, squeezing the tennis ball, trying to be patient. Finally they finished. The mother was sniffing and dabbing her eyes with a napkin from McDonald's. In his office the paneling of one wall sagged under the weight of diplomas. Tom loosened his tie and unbuttoned his collar, size 19. If he could have, he'd have taken off his coat. The couple was young. Their little girl sat between them, her eyes hollow, her head bald and white. When she smiled, her teeth shone gray with great gaps between them. The father worked at the power plant, stoking coal. The mother stayed at home. There were four other kids, too. None of them were sick. Yet. Tom slapped his hand on the desk and said, We'll sue them. Who? the father asked. Everyone, Tom said standing. G.E., the state of New York, the city of Ithaca, the Power Authority, the EPA, and the D.E.C. Everyone? I mean it, Tom said. I've done it before. I just sued the New York State Dormitory Authority and won. These big corporations, these colossal government entities, they need to be taken down, and that's what I do, Mr. Helmer. Don't you worry, Mrs. Helmer. They'll pay. I just want her to be okay, she said through the napkin. We all do, Tom said. He patted the little girl on the shoulder. She smiled up at him. I'll have the papers ready for you to sign by the beginning of next week, Tom said. Say Tuesday. How's ten? He opened the door and Sarah, his secretary, looked up from her romance novel. She was sixty. Yellow hair. Tuesday at ten for the Helmers, Sarah, he said. We'll start on the papers first thing tomorrow morning. He showed them out and turned to Sarah. She sat staring blankly at him. The property management company called again. We are two months late. Let them evict me, 
he said. He winked and grinned and took off his blazer and lost the tie. Take the rest of the day, Sarah. You've got Mr. Potter scheduled for 3.30. Cancel it. Tom, they will evict you. Cancel it. This Helmer case could be the big one. We've had a lot of big ones, Tom. They never pay. The small stuff is what pays. Mr. Potter will pay a retainer up front. I told him that on the phone, and he agreed. Sarah, I know you care, and I appreciate that, but I am sick and tired of DUIs and shoplifters and aggravated assaults. I'm tired of drug dealers, pickpockets, drunks, crackheads, motorcycle gangs, and dregs. These are the people I used to put in jail. You're a defense lawyer, Tom. You need money to file that suit. You need an index number. You need an investigator, she said. You already owe Mike Tubb $6,000. He said to Bill, Of course not. Tom rubbed his chin. Then reschedule Potter for Thursday, he said. And do me a favor, will you? Dial up Mike Tubbs and tell him I'll meet him at Friendly's at 3.30 sharp. At Friendly's Ice Cream, Tom edged past a sunburned crowd of summer tourists to where an empty booth waited for him in the back. The waitress set down two sweaty glasses of water just as Mike Tubbs stumbled in jostling the tourists. Thirty years old, flirting with the three-hundred-pound mark, a head of thinning hair with small matching ginger mustache and goatee. Extremely capable. Sorry I'm late, Mike said as he wedged his way into the vinyl booth. Tom took the younger man's meaty hand and shook it. A good investigator, Tom said, respects time. Mike smiled, but his cheeks went pink. Sorry, I... Yes, sir? Two chocolate.